0: So we're continuing our discussion of the millennium and as I've pointed out, the millennium is not an optional period and the millennium is not in lieu of going to heaven, the millennium is what comes after heaven has been emptied out. Let me again remind you, heaven is temporary, Heaven is not an eternal realm, Heaven was created. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So they are created, what's created? The earth was created and so were the heavens, plural. So everything that is created has an end to it and, and the reason is that every created thing has a purpose whether it's beings who were created and have a purpose or realms that were created to host a purpose. Heaven is a realm that was created to host a purpose. It was created to host the purpose of conserving the power and authority of God in creation, to stage it so that in the appropriate time, in its appropriate sequences, the power of God conserved in heaven would be released upon the earth and eventually the intention of God was that all of what was in heaven would be brought forth upon the earth. That's one of these great principles like what we addressed in the last broadcast which was that on the seventh day God rested and the character of the seventh day is the rule of Christ, beginning with suppression of every authority or rule or title that may be given in the present age being made subject to Christ who comes forth as King, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. And that's not a farcical assertion, that is an actual functional assertion upon the earth. The rule of Christ upon the earth for the last period of this epoch, the millennial period, a thousand years, the rule of Christ is meant to be upon the earth and it will be attended by all of the economies of heaven. no longer will the realm of heaven be separated from the realm of earth because there would be no purpose for that separation. All of the saints who once were in heaven will have been brought back to the earth with Christ. So that's one group that's absent from heaven and arguably one of the main reasons that heaven was created in the first place. Christ Himself will come out of heaven and be enthroned upon the earth. So heaven will not have Christ in heaven. Heaven will will yield him up, will cede his presence, and earth will be the beneficiary. Angels, he will come, Jesus will come out of heaven leading an army that includes His mighty angels. So says um, the book of 1st Corinthians, the 15th chapter, "...the Lord Himself shall be revealed from heaven with the shout of the archangel and the trumpet of God." And in another place He will be revealed with His mighty angels, So the hordes of the angelic, who attend the saints and who attend to the business of Christ, to the activities of Christ, those angels will have no purpose remaining in heaven inasmuch as both the ones that they are to serve in heaven- humans and serve on the earth- and the Lord Himself and His court will move to the earth. So heaven will be without purpose, it will have served its purpose and we shouldn't lament about such things because if the purpose of a thing is served, then unless unless we find some intrinsic value in what remains of the thing, in all creation the only value anything has is to serve God's intended purpose. I know we get attached to things and we get sentimental about things uh, I've made it a rule not to own anything that I cannot give up. Because if I ever find myself owning something that I cannot give up, then I have switched from the thing serving me to me being defined by the thing, the thing I possess. So. I have no possession that I am unable to give up because the ownership of no thing defines me- not a house, not cars, not clothing, not jewelry, none of it. When you have that perspective, you can also have God's generosity and what God will do is He'll give you more and better when you're not to be owned by anything. But if anything actually owns you, you have set the limits on your own value. Anyway, heaven not even heaven, not even the continuation of heaven in some form is relevant. God is not like that, nothing owns God, God is not sentimental about heaven, He created it for a purpose, like He created the earth for a purpose and when both, heaven and earth, have served their purposes, we look forward to new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. The marvel of God is He doesn't have to preserve or conserve anything. Anything that He needs, He can create. And as beautiful and intricate and awesome as things God creates, when you're a Creator and when you're God as Creator, what you create is around the purpose is created around the purpose for which you created it and not not so you may display yourself in awe inspiring fashion god is not impressed with that he created the heavens and the earth to serve the heavens were created to serve as a conservation of the eternal power of God, which lies beyond heaven. It is eternal, heaven itself is not eternal. So what God put in heaven was put there with the intent that it transitioned to the earth and it simply conserved in heaven until the appointed time when it transitions into the earth. Now has come the kingdom and power and glory of God and of, of His Christ, for the enemy of the saints has been overthrown. Uh, that's what, uh, what uh, uh, Revelation, the twelfth chapter, says. God is not sentimentally attached to anything in creation. So if you're a tree hugger or you're an environmentalist and your God has become the creation, you're worshiping a false god. Now I understand, we ought not to pollute the creation or use it rapaciously because to do that has consequences upon our physical health and and well-being and enjoyment of the creation. I understand, I'm not speaking about being wanton, I'm speaking about what is the object of your worship because whatever you worship is greater than you and the only one to be worshipped is God. So the millennium will begin to see a different form of creation come with the transitioning of heaven into the earth. What will the earth look like then in this transition? One of the transitions will be from a world divided by races to a world that is created or recreated, renewed, to sustain human life without people dying for a thousand years. Now, we know, you see, we know that the earth was originally like that. Why? How long did Adam live? Well, the days, when his days began to be numbered, he lived 930 years. How long did he live before that? When Essentially the creation was not subject to the bondage to decay. Nothing in creation decayed that would be inclusive of man. Sin burdened creation with the bondage to decay means it put a curse on it to decay. And even though uh, you see God never cursed Adam God never cursed Adam, the curse was upon the earth. Curse be the ground for man's sake, it shall produce thorns and thistles. That wasn't so much a curse directed to the earth because of anything the earth was capable of doing, it was the consequence of man's sins. So all creation, groans against the weight of man's sins inasmuch as it was placed by man and by the sin of man, placed in a condition of bondage to decay. So the law of entropy began to infiltrate all of the systems of creation and man can accelerate that to where barrenness comes upon creation if you denude the forests, Um, if you destroy uh, mountains and valleys, pollute things, it accelerates the bondage to decay. It will be restored to the pre-fallen state of man, Creation: the earth will be restored to the time before the fall of man. And one of the aspects of this restoration would now be possible because the one who divided brother against brother will be in the pit for a thousand years. So, the identity of man will no longer be by race, tribe, creed, those things. Man would not even be defined in, in the millennium by male and female. You know, in the resurrection, Jesus tells us, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So the removal of the temptation to sin, the removal of distinctions according to the human race, will produce one people upon the earth and will effectively eviscerate all of the fault lines around which human civilization has evolved. The end of the age, you will remember, before the return of the Lord would have been characterized by nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Now there's only one king in the millennium, the Lord Jesus Christ, the divider of mankind according to race, gender, Uh, social standing, social order, economic and the rest, Uh, greed, competition for authority, competition for resources, all of that will be eradicated. So the scriptures say, there will be no more sea, no more sea, S-E-A. Because the sea has been analogously used to reference the different types of humanity. Before the heavens and the earth were created, the nature of water, the nature of water was different from what it came to be in creation. You will remember the Scriptures say that God divided... well first, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, in our minds we automatically assume that water was everywhere and that the earth came up out of the water. But when it says He divided the waters from the waters and He he did so with a firmament and there were waters above the firmament with waters below the firmament, then we see the distinction between natural and spiritual. In the physical world, there was water as we know it, in the world of the heavens there was water that is described very differently jesus described that water much like he described bread i am the bread of life come down from heaven and with the woman well he did, he said woman if you knew who asked you for water you'd ask him for the water that springs up into eternal life So there is no necessity for seas. There is one body of water described in, in this city and we haven't gotten to the city yet and it's a stream, a river of pure water and it's called the river of life and it flows out of the throne of God. But other than that, it says there is no more there are no more seas. It, my understanding of this concept is because the seas were described as nations, that in principal part it's speaking about how nations now are no longer divided, because the reality is that we are reminded of how the human race came to be in the first place. We all derive from Adam who was the son of God. And to the extent that there is a, uh, any form of gospel being preached in the millennium, it would be that all mankind was created With the intent, with God's intent, that they might become the sons of God. And in that case, strict obedience to the standard of the Son would be the only form of salvation possible. Now, I don't want to go too far into that because I do want to speak about the millennium as a finishing school, a finishing work for disobedient sons, it clearly will be that. And the rule of the rod of iron is designed to produce absolute and strict conformity to the standards of Christ where choice has been obliterated because there is only one standard. And truth is now incarnate or truth is now concentrated in the one and only Lord Jesus Christ and the model of truth is now visible in those who have been made perfect in this life through their obedience and now they are participants in this rule of the rod of iron that characterizes the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have both the the embodied principle in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the execution of rule in the saints, in those who have been perfected. And for persons who have rejected the rule of Christ and failed to conform uh, to His requirements and His standards, even though they confessed that Jesus Christ was Lord but continued in a rebellious fashion, their salvation now is by strict obedience. And whereas I'm not resolved on whether this is available to that portion of the world's population that never received Christ but are alive in the millennium and are being ruled over, I'm not resolved on that issue but I can say that if there is any sort of salvation it will be the same the same for the saving of the souls the completeness the completing of the saving of the souls of rebellious sons it would obviously be the same for unbelievers now we do know that at the end of the millennium and i'm going ahead of myself here because i'm concentrating on talking about what the millennium looks like and what do the people look like who are in the millennium? What does the earth look like? How is it functional? And so on. Uh, But I'm going ahead of myself and speaking here about when the millennium is over, we do know that Satan is released from the pit, from the abyss, and he goes forward to deceive the nations and we do know that many among the nations will be deceived and will be finally destroyed along with Satan. What I don't know is whether or not in that thousand year period, whether or not persons of good will who had they known the truth would have obeyed it or who were deceived And misled, but now see the truth and and whether or not they would obey, being removed, having the the veil of deception lifted. I don't know with absolute certainty, and I'm saying so, uh, whether or not they will be saved. These types of people will be saved. Um, I do know that if they are to be saved, It will be by the same exact process by which disobedient sons are brought to maturity, and that is by strict obedience. Water, the waters in the creation that were above the firmament, when they come out of heaven, when that water comes out of heaven into the earth, it comes in the form of revelation. The person, Jesus Himself, describes Himself as the water of life. But prophetic scripture also refers to water in terms of the latter and former rain. And there it's not speaking about bringing crops the, the, latter, the, the former rain nourishing the root stock of crops, and the latter rain pr- providing a harvest. No, I mean, that's the human, earthly, physical analogy to the effect of revelation that comes early and that comes late. And in some ways, this is what I'm talking about. Revelation that came early produces an understanding but more in the form of types and shadows. Revelation that comes later points out the fact that this is that which was spoken. And the importance of that is truth operates in such such a fashion as that, that which is spoken is not merely advisory, and it's not merely poetic. That which is spoken, that has, that forms an antecedent, must have a conclusion. But when it is spoken, it's spoken in the form that is unrevealed or barely revealed. That's the that's the former rain. The latter rain, like the analogy to producing the harvest, speaks of the thing fully come about, fully as it is. So the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Until then, for example, its manifestation on the earth is incomplete. We may have understanding of what is likely to look like when it's complete, but in truth we we don't have the experience of knowing what it actually looks like until it is complete. So we know that there is water and water, we know there is physical water upon the earth and we know that there is the water of revelation, insight and so on that produces life and life in the kingdom of God when the heavens and the earth come together, the need for earthly water, certainly the need for seas, will be diminished if not removed from necessity. Uh, And when you consider that the reference here also is used spiritually to define nations, we know for certain that there will be no divisions among the nations. So if the meaning of the word, seas, applies in that metaphorical sense, then, then there indeed will be no more seas. The earth itself will accommodate a different expression of human life because human life will not be Uh, in bondage to decay because the earth will be renewed. We also know things about human life in the millennium such as there will be no tears, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering because these represent the former things which will have passed away. We will be given a body, certainly the saints are going to be given a body that cannot die. Um, Sown in weakness, raised in strength. A body like the Lord had when he was resurrected from the dead. And everything is going to move back to the pre created, the pre fallen state of mankind requiring, in effect, that the end of human life, if it's to end, for those who will be, will, will be annihilated at the end of the millennium, uh, they're going to be dispatched by divine judgment, not by disease or sickness or death because those former things will have passed away. Now I want to pick up there and talk about life in the millennium. I'm describing the environment of the millennium by reference to certain of these things. I know for most of you there's probably not been any kind of discussion of the millennium that you're aware of except maybe here and there bits and pieces. But the principal statement relative to the millennium is that it is a necessity for the conclusion of the rule of Christ. And true to form, He brings benefits to humankind that include the restored earth and man restored to a time prior to sin ruling upon the earth. I want to explore that further and I have some other things to say. But for now, uh, I'll leave you with those thoughts and we'll continue next time. I'm Sam Solon, and we'll talk more about these things. Bye now.